When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. I will be honest with you listeners, which is something we always try to do here at Cracked Rackets. Today's podcast is not the podcast we had scheduled for this time slot. Now, longtime listeners of this show will know the College Contender Series is one of our favorite series to do here at Cracked Rackets. Every preseason over the past couple of years, we've counted down our team starting at our preseason number 10, working all the way to our preseason number one team heading into any college tennis season. We are continuing that countdown here in 22 and we uh, 2022, excuse me, and we have reached the number three team in our preseason rankings. Of course, those podcasts going to continue over the course of the next 10 days as we try to get all of you listeners set for the ITA kickoff weekend. It is less than three weeks away. College tennis action already beginning last weekend. We saw a bunch of hidden duels played across the country. That continues this weekend and the next as well. I am fortunate enough to be able to be headed to Champaign on, I believe, January 22nd, that Saturday, to call one of my favorite pre-kickoff weekend matches, Illinois taking on Ohio State, and of course, plenty other action like that happening across the country. But again, the plan for today was to continue that college contender series, get to our number three men's team. Unfortunately, in a rare and I'll say first time occurrence here at Crack Rackets, Matt the Cracks Dekowiak had to reschedule. Now, of course, no one is more dedicated to college tennis than Maddie, and he has never, not once, A, shown up late for a podcast, B, asked to reschedule. This is, he asked, you know, one-time occurrence, and of course, we were willing to grant that to Maddie. He has earned that privilege to call for a mulligan, but we did want to leave you listeners high and dry, and to be honest, it's been a long time since I've done a solo pod with my guest joining me on today's show. So we figured we'd shoot the shit, throw a topic or two around. We had a pregame brainstorming session, came up with something we thought we'd both enjoy. So joining me on today's impromptu college tennis podcast is the second member of our college tennis holy trinity. Of course, you know him best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, lover of mothers, lover of almond joys, the snitch, the professor, he quotes Henry Ford, he's a one-shoulder designer, his UTR is under a five, it's our friend Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot, welcome back to the show, the reviews are in, your flu game last week, one of the all-time performances in Crack Rackets podcast history, how are you feeling today, my friend? I'm feeling like 900% better than last week. You know, last week, I think we recorded Wednesday. That was the first day of my two-day stretch of feeling like absolute death. Yes, I, you know, I I was infected. Lasted two days. 
started to get better uh you know and then from friday on it's everything has slowly improved uh still you know little symptoms for the old guy but you know it's uh it's all it's all good we're uh we're getting better and we're, we're ready to talk some college tennis well the good news is the only thing you've ever smelled is the smell of victory and so that's never going to change regardless of if you're able to actually smell it or not and as you mentioned you are already slow and old so it's covid what's it going to slow you down more i don't think that you already are driving 15 <laughs> yeah. and 25 so you know that's a, i call my dad do you did you watch baseball do you have any baseball reference in your past Oh, of course. I played oh. baseball through college. By the way, that's the most Chris fact. He played baseball in college. Is Throw it on the intro, Westoff. He played baseball in college. But I call my dad post-prime Greg Maddox. I go, yeah, because look, you still hit the strike zone whenever you need to. But you are not hitting 94 on the gun anymore. <laughs> it's like, I'm like 83. Yeah, I'm like, everything <laughs> you throw at us nowadays, it's like a solid 86 with a smile. And again... <laughs> Post-prime Greg Maddox, still super effective at that point of his yeah. career. But I'm like, you're yeah. just not in the prime anymore. Like, I feel like it's a pretty complimentary analogy. Uh, I, I'm sort of entering the Tim Wakefield era here. <laughs> 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 uh, no, I mean, first of all, R.A. Dickey is R.I.A. and Dickerson, of course, here on this show. But you're more R.A. Dickey than you are Tim Wakefield. Although, you would blow a game seven. There's no denying that. Um, yeah, again... All right, we'll put it on the Twitter poll. Is calling someone post-prime Greg Maddox a compliment or not? I think it is. You should tweet that <laughs> yeah. out right now, Chris, as we're doing this podcast. Tell me what the responses are. People will assume I called you that on the – I can add that to your intro as well, a post-prime Greg Maddox if that's what you'd prefer. But um, no, again, I all of that is to say um, it's good to have you back full, uh, close to full speed and again – impromptu college tennis podcast today i want to throw a couple of questions at you chris before we get to our major topic and today is going to be on the shorter side again i had chris on the zoom i was like i don't want to play. literally we looked at each other and it was kind of like a huh what are we going to do today? <laughs> we should probably do something. And so we settled on talking about the collegians out there who have top 100 potential right now. And of course, the big number I want to start today's podcast with, there are currently 17 players, 17 current or former uh, excuse me, I suppose now at this point, all former collegians who are either currently top 100 or have been top 100 at some point in this their careers. Again, 17 men right now with college tennis ties. This is singles alone, not even including the doubles. 17 guys with singles ties are currently inside the top 100 or have been top 100. Those players, Cam Norrie, John Isner, Dom Kopfer, Mackie McDonald, Jensen Brooksby, who you can yell at us. He attended a class at Baylor. You're a collegian in our mind. Arthur Rindernesh, Marcos Giron, Brandon Nakashima, Max Cressy, who I want to hear your thoughts on in a second, Chris. Tennis Sandgren, Kevin Anderson. Those are your current top 100 players, 12 of them in all. Of course, you've currently got Stevie Johnson as well, currently number 102. If you've watched him play this January, he's looked very good in his uh, five matches in Australia. Yannick Hanifman, another USC Trojan, number 124. He's currently uh, 124 in the world, excuse me, career high of 92 for him, which I believe he didn't reach that 
long ago. Blaz Rolla, former NCAA champion, Ohio State, currently 179. He reached a career high 78 right after getting out of college. Braden Schnur, after winning the New York title, got up to number 92. He's currently 237. Yannick Maiden, shout out Clemson, 309 right now in the rankings, but reached a career high of number 96. And Bradley Klon, who I believe is the volunteer at Stanford this semester, 340 in the world, but reached a career high of number 63. Again, 17 men right now, currently or former top 100 players, all have collegiate ties. What do you think is the reason for that, Chris? I talk about it with all of these coaches on the Cracked Interviews podcast. I want to editorialize it a bit here, give my opinion, but I want to hear yours first. What leads to that number? Again, 17 is a noticeable big number. It's proof. And all of those guys, to their credit, were either number one in, in their you know, country, the Dom Kopfers of the world, Cam Norris of the world. They were NCAA champions, Garone, you know, Mackey, Stevie Johnson, or they were number one singles players on some of the best teams in the country, right? Those were standout collegians, but all of those standout collegians are having success now on the Pro Tour. Yeah, I mean, I think what's more what's more impressive, honestly, are the guys that have done that and and reach say top twenty. Yeah. Because while top hundred is unbelievable, and you're making a living and you're playing pro tennis for a career, you can be really, really good, but not quite. You know, you're not you're not battling the big three, big four, whatever you want to call them, right? Uh, week in week out but but you're you're making a living doing it and there's no doubt that and people have seen that the path through college tennis can get you there i mean you you get and i think that's i think what you get is a lot of guys that are the you know if you're a if you're a federer you're in you're a sitsy pass whatever you say look at 17 i can play pro tennis and you have the game to do it absolutely go do it and play but if you need a little more development, you get whatever, anywhere between one and four to five years of free, if you will, development. Those, you know, if you're at that level, you're going to get a full ride. You're getting free coaching. You get to play tournaments. You get to develop your game. And those guys get a lot of coaching and a lot of development. And I think, you know, and for the guys that are just on the outstretch of, I'm not, maybe not quite good enough at 16, 17 years old to think, I can be a pro right now and actually compete. I need a little more development. You go to college, you get that development, and then you make it into the pros, and it just goes from there. You've gotten you've gotten those extra years. You've got the maturity. You've got the physical capabilities that you gained. And yeah, it's you know, did you have to go to college to get it? Maybe not, but did you get it for four years at no cost to you? Absolutely, which can be a huge benefit. Uh, and I think I think that's huge. So yeah, I'm not surprised to see, you know, something in the neighborhood of 15% of our top hundred being guys that have college experience. I think the the ones that are really impressive, honestly, like I said, are the guys that make it into the top 20 as Isner did, as Cam Norrie has, etc. That is just super impressive because now you're competing generally against guys that turned pro before they were 16 or 17. They weren't even thinking about college. They were professionals before they were even college age and have made a career of it. You talk about maximizing the training. I agree. That's one element, and I say this on every coaching interview. The quality of coaching has never been better. 
Look across the country. If it's not the names like the Steve Dentons and the Billy Martins of the world, it's the people, you know, not just the head coaches, the assistant coaches everywhere across the country who, A, have a hunger to win right now and they want to compete at the highest level and they're going to push their guys. But, B, they will be on court with you every day, to your point, maximizing the facilities. And the ones I can speak to most clearly got the tour of the Baylor facilities Boy, are they special. Boy, do they roll out the red carpet for all of their athletes, their tennis players in particular. You can get why so many players are making the decision to go there. The training base, you can hear Jacob Brum, who has said the quote, and you'll be able to read this in a Cracked Rackets piece coming out eventually, uh, that he's trained at the USTA. He's been at other schools. Nothing, none of it compares to the offer what they offer you at Baylor. I know what they offer the Michigan athletes. It's exceptional. Top of the line. Anything you need from a training perspective. And again, Illinois, I would say the same thing about these are three schools I know most intimately. They give these t- athletes everything they want. Now again, indoor, outdoor, that's a separate discussion. But you talk about, again, the quality of coaching, the quality of the facilities, and then obviously embracing international recruiting, which all of these coaches have done. Kopfer is not an American, but he's got those college tennis ties. Rindernesh, same deal. Hanifman, Rolla, Schnurr, Maiden, all of these guys have embraced college tennis. It's made the product better, risen all of the Americans playing in the game, but obviously it also reflects well on the pro tour, having all of these guys go out and experience success as well. And again, I'm not listing the countless doubles players, countless women's players also experiencing success right now on the pro tour, but I think that's a big factor. I would also point out Winning begets winning. And I know this is one of my stupid pet theories that I've repeated on multiple podcasts, but Chris, it's just me and you here, so we have the opportunity to shoot out stupid, you know, you bring out stupidity in me. I think being the best at something in your peer group matters. And the confidence you build in that, it absolutely matters. And this is the stupidest equivalent in the world. When we won our club tennis championship, the hubris I had from that, I was like, I can do anything. I was like, I put in the work. I We found the players. We got our team together. The chemistry was light, and it worked, and we won. And winning and the confidence that gave me, I was like, you know what? I can do a tennis podcast as well, and now we're here. For a guy like Stevie Johnson, who the moment he walked out of college had done two straight years of winning, I just think that matters in the 6-5 moments, the 5-4 moments, obviously the tiebreakers as well, to have that confidence in yourself, whether you're a Cam Norrie, who is number one in the country, Tom Kopfer, number one in the country, Mackie McDonald, Marcos Giron, NCAA champions, Hanif Monroe. I mean, of course, being good inherently means you have a higher chance of having success on the pro tour. But I also think the confidence you build from winning a ton in college and just saying, okay, I know in the pressure-packed moments, I did this for four years. And again, for Cam Norrie, he's competing against the Hanifmans of the world. He's competing against the Julian Lenses of the world. I think for Maxime Cressy, he's a unique case, and I want to get to him separately. But all of these guys, the winning they do matters. And you have the opportunity to do that winning while still having some sort of safety net to fall into in case there are the rough streaks, in case there are the two, three weeks where you're just a little burnt out not playing your best tennis that's what college tennis provided for all of those players and now I mean Stevie's the exception because he actually never lost and it was like I'm sure for him losing was like wait a second I thought I didn't do that anymore but for guys like a Rindernesh or a Nakashima or a Giron in particular who took some lumps along the way less Nakashima but Rindernesh Giron took some lumps along the way Sandgren as well 
but knew in the end, you know, I I know what it takes for me to, to win. I know I have that player in me. I don't think you can fake that belief, and I think you just don't have the safety net to fail in the pro tour the way you do in college tennis, and I think that helped all of these players find the best versions of themselves, and it pays dividends now on the pro tour. Yeah, I don't think it's, you know, as you say that, I think to myself that I don't think it's all that dissimilar from the path for someone becoming, say, a pro boxer. Now, granted, there's all kinds of issues in that sport, right? But yeah. you don't see Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather going winning the Olympics, and then all of a sudden them throwing up again, throwing him up against the number one fighter in the world, right? Those guys get put on a path where, yes, you're the up and coming guy, and you fight fighter A and then fighter B, and you slowly move up in competition, but they don't get you too far ahead of yourself too fast, whereas. If you're a seven, 16, 17 year old and you go pro, you're basically being thrown in against whoever, you know, the best guys in the world. So you need that development. And that's kind of what you get in college is yes, you get the ability to build that confidence while building the experience against people that are maybe more at your level before you get thrown into the just, hey, you're playing, you know, yes, when you're going to play a challenger, you're not playing Roger Federer, but you're still potentially playing a guy that's 150 in the world. And if you're 16, 17 years old, and you haven't even, you know, you've been nowhere yet, that's way, uh, you know, way out of your league at the moment. And you want to get that week in week out play against the guys that are at your level. So, so yeah, I think you to your point, yeah, winning begets winning for sure. And then building that experience and playing the guys at the level you're at, that's, I mean, it's good stuff. Yeah, 100%. And talking to all of these coaches, no ad points help the development. You're just playing more pressure points in these college matches. Now, the difference in college, you have to be good. You know, you only have to be good two days of the week. At the Pro Tour, you have to be good every day of the week. The day you're not good, you're going to suffer the loss. Your week is over. That's not the case in college tennis. And, of course, you know, you can only learn that once you take some losses on the Pro Tour. But I, I agree with all the points you've listed you want to hear some of the other questions? Because I know you don't listen to any of the coaching interviews. Do you want to hear some of the questions and try and answer them? Oh, absolutely. All right, we're going to do this quickly, and then we'll get to our top 100 players. All right, first things first. I've asked, do I want to hear Chris Halioris' recruiting pitch? Uh, listeners will laugh at that who have heard the interviews. Do I want to hear Chris's recruiting pitch for why oh, I should go to his school? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. You know, it's the most uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is the wrong word. Two things, by the way. Three things. Three quick tangents, then I'll get to the questions. A, Manny Diaz, Jamie Hunt, I hope you're listening to this. Go dogs. Georgia Bulldogs, Georgia Tennis, national champions. I'm repping Georgia Tennis today in honor of Let it be known, that. Gruskin is wearing the shirt during the pod while I am wearing the Ohio, Iowa Ohio, Iowa tennis shirt that was that was so uh, generously sent to me from the from the folks at Iowa. And let's be clear, I know it's the Baylor podcast day, so some of you listeners might be thinking, "Wait, I, I was listening since the beginning on the Baylor podcast day. You were wearing Georgia. I was hoping to do that so that you and Maddie would ask me, well, why would you wear Georgia when I know you have Baylor gear? And it's so I could say this is a subtle protest, and I love Michael Woodson. I really do. And I think listeners will see that in the piece. Obviously, we're going to have him on the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm sure, hopefully, someone will tell him to listen to this part of the podcast. When we were down in Baylor, 
he gifted Daniel Westhoff, who he has now learned is actually the brain behind this Cracked Rackets operation and without whom everything would fall apart, which is a devastating secret to have revealed because I've been trying to keep that close to the chest for as long as humanly possible. But he was like, you need Baylor gear. This is unacceptable. And whips out the most beautiful quarter zip sort of hoodie type thing, like long sweatshirt that you know is my wheelhouse, right? Like, Chris, I have closets full of that exact item of clothing. But again, I happen to have a solid collection of Baylor gear. I'm not going to complain. And I'm not complaining. I can't emphasize enough. I'm not complaining. And I know he'll hear this and he'll be, he'll be like, it's coming in the mail. But, like, the extreme jealousy I had in that moment, Chris, looking at West, I was like, you son of a bitch. I was like, that is the most beautiful quarter zip. Like, I was like, that is – I was like, oh. And I was going to be like, hey, coach, can I can I snag one too? But I was like, God, that thing is beautiful. And so this is my subtle way of just bringing up that story of great gear, great gear. Um, I don't know. Was that story worth it, Chris? Leave it in. Yeah, oh, de- definitely worth it. All, all I'm thinking, well, you know, the the part that rung true to me was the fact that not only are you second fiddle at work to Westhoff, <laughs> but then you're third fiddle at home to two Ivy League brothers. I yeah. mean, when do, when do you ever win? Did you like the holiday card? Yeah. Oh, I love the holiday card. I need to. I'm going to bring it up just for the next time we do an actual video pod where I can just like I did last year. I can show the beautiful family and you. <laughs> By the way. Don't forget to tweet out the Twitter poll, and I'm going to give you some time here. I already I did. Remember. Oh, you did? Oh, oh, that's four, amazing. Four, four votes. Three say yes so far. Okay. Yes, it's a compliment. Okay, <laughs> good. I like this. I'm going to retweet it as well so that people know as we're going. I don't even remember what points two and three were. I'm sure they related to, again, thank you to all of the coaches who have been kind enough to send out some gear. Um, I thought I looked great in the holiday card. There's a great photo of me on a surfboard you'll all be able to see. Um, that, I mean, you get to see the full wingspan. <laughs> um, I, we're off the rails here. What, what was two and three? I'm really sad that I don't remember points two and three. Oh, I'm wearing the Georgia gear. Um, I, I don't know. I don't remember what points two and three are. I know you don't listen to the interview podcast. Listeners who want to hear from these Power Five head coaches can go check out the Cracked Interviews podcast now. We've done over 50 of them. You're going to find a coach of your flavor, I promise. Oh, it's... The problem is now, okay, two things. Because one of the, well, how well do you remember, do you remember the Wisconsin parking lot? Like, do you remember pulling up the Wisconsin? I remember the Wisconsin parking garage. So you remember, yes, there's the garage. And then on the left, there's a little parking lot that you're not supposed to park in. Yes, yes, the open parking lot to the left. Yep. That you're not supposed to park in because you'll get a ticket immediately and towed. Correct. So, so, oh my God, Coach McKenna, God bless her, best joke I've ever heard on the Cracked Interviews podcast, comes on because I'm like, so tell me about you know hosting the National Indoors, that's where the women are this year, are you guys excited? And she goes, well, I just want to tell every coach in advance, if you park in the lot, you're going to get a ticket, and no, I can't get it out, get you out of it. And like... <laughs> I like I get that joke so thoroughly in my bones because of all the club tennis trips. I think that's the hardest I've ever laughed on the Cracked Interviews podcast. So shout out to her for the joke of jokes. Um, I think that was point number two that I wanted to make. That was a thoroughly great experience. But point number three, let me ask you some questions quickly. I'm asking all of them. Product marketing. What should college tennis be focusing on moving forward? Changing the product still, making sure it's on TV, all the things that we can do to make the sport itself more entertaining or B, focus on marketing? 
Or both. I mean, I'm sure it's both, but which camp are you in? I mean, honestly, I, I'm in the camp, and I think I've seen a lot of things on, on that that you and Jay have both been talking about it, it, in this arena, and that is in order to make college tennis sustainable, it needs to be ingrained in the community. Uh, and that that's what I think needs to happen is, yes, yes, I would love to see it on TV, but it's not I, – I don't see it being this monster – tv revenue generating sport like we have out of you know football and basketball so if you if you truly want to be a self-sustaining program where you're you know you don't feel like that axe is somewhere in the future that we've seen in some of these other schools i think the the way around that is is making sure that you're so ingrained in the community that the community is relying on you you've got you've got 500 or a thousand fans at every match and it's not the college students it's you know it's your 30 and 40 and 50 plus year olds in the in the stands from the community that just love to come out and they get they they know the guys you know it's not they come out and see them just like we used to you know you used to love posting the videos whether it be of mississippi state or other schools of the guy, the fans coming down from the stands and being greeted by the players and all they get to feel like they're part of it and then you see events like Jimmy Borendame runs at Miss Middle, Middle Tennessee or or what Dave Rodidi does at TCU where you get involved with the community that's the kind of stuff that I think needs to happen I don't know that we necessarily have to have huge changes in the game that make it more marketable maybe that's the answer I, I'll admit that I don't know but I think for the for the programs themselves to make sure that they can be sustained and and they themselves can preserve, they need to make sure that they're tied in the community and it's not just a tennis team that's on their own a tennis team and yeah whether they come or go doesn't matter. Yeah. By the way, I remembered point number two, and then I want to ask you how to that question because I agree with the fundamental principle of being ingrained in your community and what you've seen in your experience, Chris, are the teams that have the most success doing that. How do they go about doing it? Point number two, by the way, was I interviewed the Michigan coaches this week, and I felt so horrible because they're giving their recruiting pitch, and just like naturally, all I can say is, well, you know, it's also big enough that you're not going to feel overwhelmed by any individual, but it's small enough that you're not going to get lost, and you know, you can find big enough to find whatever you need, small enough that you're not going to get lost. And I was like, plus, spring in Ann Arbor, most beautiful thing in the world. And I was like, wait, I can't be making the pitch. I was like, this is, <laughs> I, I was like, this is a paid endorsement. Like, I better be getting money. Where's my check, Ann Arbor? Um, and so I was like, all right, probably scale that back a little bit. That was point number two. So I just, I'm glad because the entire time, as listeners know, I don't listen to you. I just think about things from the past. But to your point about getting ingrained in the community, I know what Coach Steinberg did, what Coach Bernstein did, and this is one of the things I know best I can speak to. They sent their team uh, members. They sent coaches to our club tennis practices. They hooked us up with gear for competitions. They just ensuring that there was going to be at least 20 kids, tennis fans, at the matches from the get-go. And as I say all the time, 20 tennis fans make more of an impact than 100,000, 110,000 people in the big house. And, you know, that's one thing. Obviously, it helps in Michigan that the Varsity Tennis Center is also a club. And so, you know, coaching clinics, they've both talked about doing that, getting players out to hit with the kids there. That is what I've seen in my experience. What have you seen as the most effective ways for programs to go about doing this? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a, a variety of things, right? There's the there's the clinics, et cetera. Jimmy does a great do- job at Middle Tennessee State of doing things like bringing the bringing the community in for free clinics. Get the get the you know you get both lessons and you get to meet staff, you get to meet players, et cetera. Anything you know, if you're if you're a community person that can't play tennis from the average Joe, and you get to play with these guys that look like world class players to you. It's amazing. And then to get them to just hang out with you and coach you and talk to you and play with you, it's great for the community. The second thing, like you said, in terms of, you know, going around and doing things on campus, I I went this fall out to a tournament weekend at Liberty with with my nephew, right? And he who's coaching at Liberty. And I said to him, in in all honesty, as we were walking the campus. We had lunch in the camp in one of the cafeterias on campus. I said, look, you know what I don't get? I don't get why you and or the head coach and or the players, right? Figure out the plan. But why aren't you guys like in the middle of the student union area where all the restaurants are just walking through going, hey, hey, I, hi, um, you know, I'm Trevor. I'm the assistant coach of the tennis team. We got a match today at 5 p.m. You guys want to come out? If you've never seen college tennis, it's amazing because like you said, it's not a hundred thousand people. It's 20 people that matter in a tennis match. It's, you know, it doesn't have to be huge. You're just looking for really vocal people and students are bound to be very vocal. So you get a small group out there and it doesn't take a lot to get a small group out there. And all of a sudden you've got a big voice at a tennis match and then you can hit the community and the community starts coming. But I think, you know i think all of the above you know the players and the coaches engaging both the student body and the community whether that be through lessons whether it be through just hey come out and meet and and see the players and have you know establish a lunch type thing whatever it is you've got to get to where it's personal once it becomes personal and people meet you they want to come out and see oh how are they doing and as soon as they know you like i said it it doesn't matter if you go to the local restaurant for a lunch and you have the team there hey come on by and meet the team 100 people come out meet the team 20 of them come to a match the next week once you come in you've made this point before you come once you're going back because people just don't know what college tennis is they come once they see what it is they go back they tell their friends more people come now you've got community involvement and it becomes personal and once it's personal and people go because hey i know that kid and that kid and i've talked to them i want to go watch them play and you get to you know talk to them after the match all of that you know as long as you're not a this elitist type attitude people are going to want to come watch you play and that's i think that's what it takes to get it going four rapid fire questions for you quickly and again have to be quickly so we can get to our top 100 discussion a if you're a coach or whomever i'm talking about doing this in whatever legal channel mechanism is possible do you go to every club within a 20 mile radius say give me a slush fund of 30 dollars to pay my team and you will have one member of the team at a practice bi-weekly at your clinics is that a good idea for ingraining the community and factoring in nil wow because you'd no. think n- not a good idea. I I don't I don't think so. I think there are probably better ways, but yeah, I, I, that that just doesn't doesn't sit quite right with me. I but uh, you know I I don't think I I don't think it's an ask for payment thing. 
I, I think I think if you want to do it, you just you know you you and or the players go out and you just do it. Fair. I would say if you're a player, student athlete commitments, put the carrot on the end of the stick and pay them. But fair. I I, I get the sentiment you're saying there. All right. Some other things I've been suggesting. Substitutions. Yes or no? Absolutely. You're in favor. Oh, for sure. I would. I mean, it would make it so much more interesting. I don't know what the rules would be or whatever, but just the fact that you could sub somebody in. Yeah. Why not? I mean, yeah. it's a, if it's truly a team sport, for sure. 12-month ranking system, yes or no? You drop seniors out as they graduate. Uh, explain. I'm not so, sure. I, get it. <laughs> I short-circuited the professor. Um, yeah. So, again, it's a, it's a rolling ranking system, 52 weeks. Everything counts, much like – and we're factoring in UTR, all this stuff um, – it's just at you know at the start of the new calendar year, rather than resetting the rankings at zero, you keep everyone you have and you just drop out the seniors. Everyone moves up accordingly. Or you oh, drop out sure. the graduated players. Yeah, in some some variation of that, absolutely. I, I think that's better than taking into account whatever it is right now. Would it take you one month or less to code all of that? Less. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Yeah, okay. You still got it, Greg Maddox. You still got it. Um, all right. With all of that said, let's get into our topic today. And again, we want to have some fun. It's speculation. Coaches, please don't get mad at us if we forget to include your player. Players, please don't get mad at us if we don't include you. There are so many names we considered in this exercise. And again, a live look at what Chris and I were doing before this podcast started. So, Chris, hello, Alex. What do you want to work on today? Well, Matt's not here. We should do something. I agree. You want to do top 100 locks? Yeah. Who are? I have two names in mind. Who do you have? I'm like, oh, I have two names in mind. It's like, all right, well, then let's not do that. Let's broaden it. And so what we wanted to do, again, 17 players right now on the ATP Tour, either current or former top 100 singles rankings with college tennis ties. We wanted to look at who those next players with college tennis ties might be to get into the top 100 now. Maybe your list is fewer than 10 players. Maybe mine and Chris's list, if we did it honestly, would be fewer than 10 players. But we came up with our 10 guys most likely with college ties to crack the top 100 at some point in their career. Now, the rules for this were they had to have already played a college tennis match or been enrolled in college throughout the course of your uh, of their career. I, I hear you, Brooksby, people who are like, played a college tennis match. Brooksby never did that. And I say, um, but again, that was the rule. You had to have played a college tennis match at some point in your career already. Uh, of course, it helps if we know a little bit about you, but these players could have already left college. The other rule, you cannot have already cracked the top 100 in your career Let's just start here, Chris. When you looked at the type of players to fill out your list, what were the qualities, the things you were looking for? Well, I mean, I feel like it was almost two groups, right? It's guys that are really close already and are on an upward trajectory and have what you feel like are the weapons to to get there. And then it's the other half of the, the, of the list, which is, guys that have that potential but just haven't had probably in most cases the opportunity yet you know they're not full-time pros maybe or they're really really young and just haven't had a chance to get there but uh but have shown that that potential i mean that that's kind of what i was looking at 
Yeah, I mean, weapons matter, of course, and I think you'll see on both of our lists, particularly for the players we're projecting moving forward, having those pro weapons, the big serve, the you know big forehand, plus one ball ability to end shots quickly, the physicality to last at that level, and of course, you know, have you had success in college? I mean, I, the Max Cressy case, and we haven't talked about it. What do you make of Max Cressy's success? Because again, you ask anyone on those UCLA teams when he was a freshman, not only was he losing, you know, matches, he was losing in practice. He wasn't guy number, you know, seven on the team. He was guy number nine or 10 or 11. And then, you know, eventually works his way into the five singles position. Then all of a sudden, it's him, Keegan Smith, Govananda. He and Keegan win the NCAA doubles title. Him and Keegan never lose or lose like once at the top of the lineup. They go to Baylor. The two of them win their doubles and their singles, and that team gets knocked out in the NCAA round of 16. He wins the Cleveland Challenger. Like all of the sudden, Max Cressy was on the scene. And then he rips through the Challenger circuit at the start of 2020. Now he makes an ATP final. And look through all of that. Anyone who knows Max Cressy, I've had the chance to interview him. He is thoroughly of the belief that he will be number one in the world someday. Like, you cannot fake. Some would call it hubris. I call it the confidence required to succeed, particularly with that game style. But, Chris, watching him play, and I know this is a tangent here, but watching him play Nadal, his backhand was, like, good. Like, I got mad whenever he would chip the backhand against Rafa because I was like, why aren't you just swinging through it? Like, the topspin he hits is right into your strike zone. And, like, his forehand on the run, fine. His forehand, when set in the center of the court, needs some work. But his backhand is ready for the top 100. Like, the backhand returned his ability to lean forward. I was like, A, that's new. B, stop slicing. And so, like, it's crazy because he can still get better. And he's, like, not good at tennis yet. But he is good at tennis. And he competes his ass off. And now he's top 100. Yeah, I don't even know. What is he? 6'6", six, 6'5"? Six, six, I don't yeah. know. He's, he's big, right? Uh, and he's like a buck 50. Yeah, like you say, well, I don't know about that. I mean, <laughs> he might look like you on TV, but uh, I've seen him in I've seen him in person. He's a lot thicker. Uh but uh but yeah, to see somebody that that big slicing a backhand is is a shame. Uh yeah, all the potential in the world, right? And I I tweeted that out to I think Ben Chilla's you know quote about the, the you know the the enigma that that he is and the and and the things and I think I'm of I'm probably in the boat with I'm going to guess of at least people that have seen him interviewed have heard him talk I'm in the same boat because I don't know him personally I've actually never spoken to him personally I've seen him talk I've seen his arrogance and while I agree with you yeah you got to have that arrogance to be to be you know you got to believe in yourself that hey I can beat anybody at the same time, if you're the casual observer, it comes off like, man, what a jerk, this guy. <laughs> you know, he's he he's down here at grade Z and he thinks he's grade A, so to speak, right? He's it's a he's a tough guy to figure out, at, but he's got the attitude to do it. The game is obviously there. I mean, he it's only going to grow and he's going to get better, like you said. You know, he couldn't beat anybody. Went from not being able to beat anybody to just cracking the lineup and playing five loses to you know martin joyce and whatever that round of 16 or quarterfinals i don't even know that semifinal, year. yeah, yeah. Uh, it, but uh but you know and then all of a sudden and then all of a sudden the next year he's like 
playing number one singles. He and Keegan Smith are playing doubles. They win the NCAA championship. I remember watching that with you against the uh, Mazen Osama. And I can't remember who was playing with Mazen for Alabama at the time, but I mean, it just, it was clear they were the best doubles team in the country. Uh, and yeah, the guy's got all, all kinds of game and it's something that you love. That's what you love him or hate him. That's what you love to see about college tennis is it gives you the chance to come in as a guy with unrefined and undeveloped skills, develop that, and then take it to the next level and put it to use. I hate that this is going to come off as a shot at the Bruins because it's not meant to be, but Marcos Giron, Mackie McDonald, Clay Thompson was number one in the country. Carousel was a top 400 player in the world. Puget, Red Licky, Evan Zhu, Max Cressy, Keegan Smith, Govan Nanda, one NCAA final in the 2010s. And I know that's more than a lot of other schools out there in the country. But man, I mean, if you play the 2010s 10 times, they come away with at least one season with an NCAA title. Like at least in one of those. I mean, they should have won 24. Today, USC stole that title. And I'm not saying the Who's didn't have the most talent on paper. But from a 1 through 6 perspective, healthy Gage Brimer at 4. And you're just like lock of the century as a freshman. And Carew at 5 if Puget's healthy. Even still, DiGiulio and the options they had. How that team that goes Girona 2, Mackey 3, Brimer 4 doesn't take the title in Athens in 2014. I don't know, Chris. I just don't know. That's why they played the matches, right? Yeah, I know. And it also, by the way, makes the Wake Forest like 2018, the fact that it was in Winston-Salem, that much more impressive. Because like that UCLA team was hot at the end of the year. That Ohio State team had the goods. Torp, Wolf, McNally, Joyce, you know, Tubert at six was playing so well and they were just like one player short. But I mean that twenty eighteen title run, that was a heck of a now that like thinking back on it, that UNC team that lost to USC in the round of sixteen that had Blumberg, who was the unequivocal best player in the country in twenty eighteen, I mean yeah. A fun time. This is why we tell the stories here at Crack Rackets. But all right, with that said, let's get to the exercise, and we won't take too long on this, but let's play some Speculation Jones here, Chris. Top 100 players, next collegians who are going to crack the top 100 of the ATP singles rankings. Let's start at number one, because I think we're going to have very similar lists at the top. We both have J.J. Wolf as the next collegiate most likely to crack the top 100, right? You look for J.J. Wolf, currently 174, career high, number 120, which he reached in September of 2020, of course. The key stat you want to point to if you're a J.J. Wolf fan, why do you think he's most likely to get to the top 100? He's 58-26 and 26 in his career in ATP uh, Challenger hard court matches. You look for J.J. He's had success at the ATP Tour level, you know, winning um, uh, matches at at the U.S. Open third round for him in August of 2020. Again, that's how he got close to the top 100. He's my number one guy. He's in US, uh, Australian Open qualifying right now. I had him pick to qualify for that event. I think, again, I would be surprised. Indian Wells, Miami, will he get a wild card? Maybe not, but I would be. I would expect to see him in the main draw of one of those events, if not Dallas. And I would expect to see him in the top 100, perhaps even by the end of Miami. Yeah, I mean, look, the, he, he coming off injury, he's nothing defending, to defend. 
he's defending one qualifying win, which he's already achieved at the Australian (laughs) Open. So he's got nothing left to defend there. Everything's gravy from this point on that he can get. So, so yeah, let, let's say that he makes, he, he makes a run. He gets one or two more wins in Australia, makes it into the main draw. What, a, you know, everything he gets from this point on is a plus. He's already defended the points he had there. Uh, and, and not, a, not a lot to defend early in the year, right? Of all his top point getters. Yeah. He's got the Columbus challenger that drops off in February. So sometime before the end of February, He's got to do something. I don't think that's a, but again, I don't think that's a question. He's going to, he's only got two challenger titles in there to defend. Everything else is a semifinal or lower, huge upside point wise for him. I mean, we know the game has upside, but even if I take the game out of it, just looking at the mathematics of it, it's a no brainer. He's got all kinds of room to get points really, really quick. He's got to be the next guy in. Yeah, the serve, the forehand, they belong at the ATP level. And, of course, you look for J.J. Wolf again, to not to harp on this stat, but he holds serve 83.8% of the time in his challenger hardcourt matches. That would be a top 20 number amongst top 50 players. He also breaks serve 26.7% of the time. Now we still need to see him play more on clay courts. And I do think... He'll have some concerns moving laterally at the top 50, top 100 level against those sorts of weapons. But when he's able to play on his front foot, it's on his terms. And the fact that he's able to play on his terms against some of the best at the challenger level, when you can do that, I mean, again, he is a top 100 guy on hard courts. It's good. Hopefully the key for him now, just stay healthy for, for a full year. Let's see what he can do over the course of 12 months. I think that was the unequivocal number one pick. Number two's got to be Sarundalo, right? Because he's already sniffed the top 100. I think he's been up to, what, like 103 in the world or 102 in the world, something like that. And you look for Francisco Sarundalo, who, by the way, did play for a hair uh, at South Carolina, has reached career high number 103 already in the rankings, won multiple challenger titles, as has Wolf, by the way, which is so often a prerequisite to getting to the top 100. Now, most of his success has come on clay, but you watch him play... I don't think the ground strokes had great rhyme there. I don't think the ground strokes are particularly big. I I just think it's a repetition thing. I don't like a slow hard court in particular. I think he's going to thrive in. I think he's a wonderful athlete. Can play front foot tennis as well. Struggles, I suppose, with in the outer thirds. But I don't think it's a structural. Like I think he's a top one hundred guy. Twenty three years old again. One twenty five in the world. He's got to be the number two, right? Yeah, I mean, just, just by the fact that he's so close and he's been so close uh, and he's going to have the opportunities. I mean, more than anything, if you're talking about how quickly to get there, the biggest thing you need is an opportunity. If you don't, if you're not playing in ATP level events or seated in challenger level events or guaranteed to be direct into challenger level events, you don't even have the chance to earn those big points for sure. I, I'm with you. I, I'm wondering if, you know, he, you know, without the huge weapon, with how he does it, but you know, getting top hundred versus top twenty are two completely different arguments. And I think top hundred for Francisco, absolutely, he's got. I mean, he's so close now, uh, and obviously an opportunity here in Australia even to do it. He, he's got to be, uh, you know, got to be close now. Obviously, that that opportunity is not there anymore, but. 
Yeah, no, and I mean, again, the difference why Wolf's number one, he just has such fewer points to defend here. Sarundalo's got a ton of points to defend throughout the course of the year from his challenger-level success. You look for him at the start of last season. Again, I think a couple of titles of final mixed in there as well. Now, he's going to get wild cards or just in on his ranking into a bunch of those South American ATP tournaments in February. That's going to be a critical stretch for him. If he can get two quarterfinals, maybe again a quarterfinal and just not lose first round matches there which his level indicates he's more than capable of doing now he's cracking top 100 now he's right there so the pathway is there for him i agree with you number two again so as to not spend too long i imagine here's where things get funky on both of our lists because top two feel pretty straightforward after that things get tricky just for some framework current college guys who are in the top 200 uh who are pretty close Alex Vukic, who, if you've watched him hit the serve, the forehand this two weeks in Australia, he's looked really good. He is fit. Currently 151, of course, the former Illinois All-American. Emilio Gomez, former USC Trojan, 154 right now. His career high is number 143. Chris Eubanks, an All-American, he's at 162. Jason Jung, former Michigan All-American, 176. Our guy Nuno at number 192. That rounds out your top 200 college ties. Of course, J.J. Wolf uh, a little bit lower than that. And, you know, you've got, I think, like, 25 guys in the top 400 that's where i think we're going to start diving into in this list let's rapid fire through here chris number three who and why i mean just because of where they are in the list right now i'll go vukic interesting vukic not in my top 10 and i know that might be a shock but maybe that's how highly i think you know who's number three for me and i regret it already can you tell from my tone no, I can't tell from your tone. All right, it's not Blumberg yet. Don't worry. It is Ben Shelton. I have him at number three. It's just like because I think Vukic is really good. I wonder about some of the clay court stuff, although his results on that surface have gotten better, certainly. And again, he I think there's no questions well, we- about him on the hard courts. He has the weapons. But like I am so sure Ben Shelton's going to be in the top 100 now. And I, I know that's the biggest 180 out of me. But I'm so confident about that fact that, like, as soon as the pro career starts, I can just see how he's going to get better, the athleticism to be a top 100 guy. Again, it's a hot take. He's number three on my list. So so clearly, and we probably inter- – I interpreted this a little different maybe, but you're, you're saying number three based on the fact that – not based on when, but just based on the fact that you're saying, hey, I'm – He's the he's the third guy I'm most confident in that at some point in his career, whether that be three years from now, five years from now, two years from now, he will make top hundred. It's not, you know, if he made it in three years and and Serendolo made it in two years, six that, months, sure. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You're just saying I'm con- I'm more confident that he makes it. You're at right. Some that's point. E- that's exactly how I did it. I did not communicate. Okay. Shocker! I did not communicate things well. So with that in mind, if you want to reshuffle your list a little bit, who would be your number three? Uh, Nuno, come on. Yeah. So Nuno's he's, my number four, and it's just he's like making it. he's yeah. one. I mean, again, one challengers and doubles, made finals in singles, future success through the roof. The same way Ben Sheldon immediately had future success, Nuno immediately had future success coming out of college. That so much of his success has come on clay courts. Someone tweeted out, I think, oh, it was Damian Koost, Cracked Rackets contributor, says, I think he's better on clay courts than hard courts. I was like, boy, are you in for an awakening? Um, I know, right? Like, like 
you look at the results and the results clearly tell you the guy's better on clay and he himself will tell you i prefer hardcore yeah uh, i mean he just hasn't had the he hasn't had the chance and you know unfortunately be, whether it be injuries now at the australian open an unfortunate positive covid test that knocked him out of the australian open after traveling there and being ready to go two days beforehand only to find out that he that he tested positive it's just one setback after another but when he actually gets to play the record is undeniable he's going to make it well this is why i love you because the joy in your face when you go he's gonna make it i was like yep that's we're back um i never (laughs) doubt nuno club has returned yeah i mean he's four on my list because i agree with you in the serve the forehand and again some people just have an innate ability to win tennis points i know that's really stupid but nudo just knows how to win a point it's just like all right i'm going to come up with this ridiculous inside out forehand to win this point because i need to and it's like oh yeah he did it like look at that and so i actually the crazy take is maybe he's faster on clay than he is on hard courts because everyone's fast on hard courts and nudo's not fast but no one's fast on clay courts and nudo's extraordinarily coordinated yeah he might find out that while he thought he was better on hard court, he's yeah. actually better on clay. And as I've, you know, I've been talking to him through this, you know, unfortunate incident in, in Australia. I've said, Hey, what's done is done. You can't do a darn thing about it. So today starts day one towards we're playing Roland Garros, right? Mm-hmm. And that's clay. So let's, let's get ready. Let's, you know, let's do what so- we got to do. Can we break the news? Are you just going to take over as scheduler? Can we pencil that in, like, <laughs> February 1st? What's the deal here? Come on, Nuno. Uh, I, I wish, man. I would love, you know, I would love to be able to work with him and, uh, and, so would and do you, all that. Would you code it and say this is what the numbers and the map suggest, this is the most efficient way to do it, or would you go by hand? Uh I would undoubtedly put there, – there would undoubtedly be some algorithms involved. Oh. <laughs> Nudo, it would be a charity for society. Let the analytics run the schedule. Let's let's see what math can do. You're our James Harden. You're our baby. Um, so we want the Sloan Conference to be have a Nuno Borges scheduling segment where he followed the Excel sheet and yeah, that's our dream, by the way, Chris, to do a live show at at the Sloan Conference. Me and you talking tennis, and Jeff Sackman's invited. I think he's already spoken at the Sloan Conference, so he doesn't count. Um, but all right, that's my three: Shelton, four Borges. Who's your four? Yeah, I mean, based on those criteria, I think for sure I, I bet Ben will make the top one hundred. So I'll, I'll say we agree in the top four. Then all right, five. Guess what? impromptu pod i get to have fun he's skinny he's back in shape give me blumberg wow i mean i've he's on my list he's he's not my five is he your highest ranked tar heel or is ranky past him no he's not wow okay 2020 you chris i know it's been a lot a lot has changed will's body's been beaten up of course but do you remember the National Indoors? Do you remember sitting there in that broadcast booth, Chris, when we watched him just beat the snot out of – it wasn't Jubb because I think they ended up going three sets. Or maybe it was Jubb. But whoever it was they played, it wasn't McNally because they did go three sets. Who did they play in the semifinals? Michigan played USC. North Carolina played Ohio State. So who did they play in the quarterfinals? Whoever they played in between South Carolina and Ohio State – 
Blumberg just crushed they, him. They played Florida, I think. Oh, Crawford. Exactly. You're yeah. absolutely right. And I love you, Oliver Crawford. But watching Will serve in forehand, just he was like, look, I respect you, Oliver. You're fit. You can make matches long. This is big boy tennis. And right now, my job for this North Carolina team is to crush you. And that's what he did. And his serve and his forehand, when he's fit, were just better than everyone else's. His entire college career. And, like, can we can we not forget that? Uh, has Will Blumberg somehow, despite everything that's happened, become underrated? Despite uh, – like, he can never be underrated on this podcast. He might have become underrated here, Chris. Yeah, I – you know, the, the problem is, and everything about me wants to say Will, right? Like, I've interacted with Will, v, you know, in, in messages. I've clearly made my feelings known about how much I love his game. I don't know Rinky from Adam and have done none of that. But the fact is that, you know, we watched a year go by where Will played a ton of doubles and not a lot of singles. And I just, I I honestly, I have no personal knowledge. I don't know what's going on. He's told me, hey, I'm going to earn it. I'm going to earn, you know, nobody wants to give me a wild card into these tournaments. I will earn my way in. I've heard that. I haven't seen it happen yet. I don't know what's going on. I, you know, if I had my dream, absolutely. Those, you know, if I had to pick my guys, I got Nuno, I got Rybakov. I got Blumberg. Those are my favorite guys from that college era that I want to see succeed. I want to see him playing. I just don't know that I can buy in until I've seen it. Rinky, I've seen him play countless times. He's playing the Australian Open qualifying last summer. He played it this summer, didn't make it. They give him a wild card into the qualifying. He's playing. He's doing well. I don't... When we get down to, if we want to talk weapons, for sure, Blumberg has the bigger weapons. Uh, if he's uh, if he can stay healthy, if he actually plays, I'm all in. I'm I'm uh, I'm on Will's bandwagon. But based on what I've seen so far, I'm I've got to put Rinky up ahead ahead of him right now. So who's number five on your list? Is it Rinky? Five for me is Borna Goya. Wow, who was the final cut on my list? Came very close, but was the final cut. I mean, when you saw what he did in Davis Cup, that was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he was if really you good. can do if you can do what he did in the Davis Cup, clearly he has the game and now it's down to can you make, you know, do you have the mental capacity to to do that? week in week out and can you do that at a tournament when it's not for your country and it's just hey you're out there on your own go win a match but i mean the guy can play for sure yeah I, I, he's got the size too don't let the slump shoulders fool you he's six three six four and just he's done it across surfaces he's been on the challenger grind it's a good call. Again, just missed my list. Number six for me, a guy who shades of Go jo Gojo for sure, Adrian Boyton. Like, he had success on the future circuit, obviously, this year. I have him ahead of Rinky. I know he beat Blumberg at the NCAAs, and I think that's sort of the epitome of their days when Boyton just hits the cover off the ball, and it's just like, well, I lose because he can hit the ball bigger than me. 
and things clicked for him at the end of last year. Things clicked for him this summer. I mean, Coach Woodson will remind us every day that you had him playing five singles in the preseason lineup, and obviously he's going to be at the number one spot for the Bears this year. I think he gets to the top 100. I Physically, he's come so far in his first two years, three years at Baylor. It's just like, I, and I still think athletically he's got another gear to get to. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's it's hard to disagree with that. I don't, you know, get yeah, – obviously, top 100 is tough. The guy's got all kinds of, of upside, and he came in – he came into Baylor injured, right? Yeah. And, and it took some time for him to get his game. It's – he's definitely – he's in my top 10. I didn't have him probably as high as you, but he's definitely in the top 10 as far as making it to the top 100. I – I don't know how quick for him is 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 the issue. He's he's got more development, I still think, to do. I mean, big, huge game, right? Uh, huge game for 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 Addy. But but yeah, he's going to get there. I think it might just take a little more time for him. Yeah. I, again, this is sure thing. Not from a time perspective, would he be in your top ten? Yeah, he's in my top ten. Okay, so who's six on your list? Oh, gosh. You're making me struggle here. I think I'm going to go Chris Eubanks. Wow. Not on my list. Yeah. I, you know, I just, I think given the right, I mean, obviously not going to be, you know, Clay is not going to be the ideal surface for the big guy. Um, But to make top 100, you don't necessarily, you know, you don't have to have the, hey, I can score points everywhere kind of game. You you know, if you're really good uh, on, say, harder surfaces like uh, a Eubanks is going to be, be with the big serve and the big strokes, uh, it's going to be good enough to gather the points there. And, you know, I honestly don't care if you really just write off the clay court season, I think. Uh, with the fact that between you know the hard courts Wimbledon etc et he's going to be able to garner the points to get him into the top hundred at you know at some point in his career. Yeah. And so I saw him play in person in Pennsylvania this summer, and he just looked legitimately better at all other aspects of the game. The serve, the forehand, have always been there, but he looked more comfortable hitting the backhand out of the corner. He looked more comfortable hitting it as a rally ball. He's continued to become more fluid at the net. I think he's continued to get stronger and thus become better as a mover. But I still don't know what plan B, C, D is for him. And I look at the guys I have above him, Shelton, Nuno, Will, Adrian. I think all of them can match him on the serve and forehand. And I think they're guys who can do a little bit more from a dy- uh, in terms of dynamic from that standpoint. Now, I still think he can get to the top 100. Like, again, that speaks to all the talent out there. But that's why he is not in my top 10 from a confidence standpoint. I regret seven already on my list. And again, we're rapid firing here down the home stretch. It's Petros. And that's just because we were at the 2019 National Indoors. And I say this all the time. But even more than Borna and Barr... Petros was just like, hey, guys, we're making the final. Like, just so you all know on the other courts, hey, we're making the final. Like, I'm going to win, and we're making the final. Is that clear? Like, I just would like to be clear with everyone. And anyone who can do that, drag that team, which, with all due respect, you know, 
I think in 2020, the match we watched between Kyle, uh, Kyle Selig and Melios Estafalu was much more impressive than what the Melios we saw at the indoors in 2020, uh, in 2019, excuse me. And I think, you know, five singles, six singles outside of Barr and Borna and Petros, that team was a little bit shaky on the other flights. Um, I just like that guy who can will himself to that. He should rip off six futures in a row. Like, willing yourself to futures victories. The tennis has never been the issue for Petros. And I know injuries have slowed him down thus far in his career. That's absolutely a piece. And sorry, this is not rapid at all. But, like, I still believe in that guy. I Like, some people, again, just are good tennis players. He's one of them. I know he doesn't have the biggest single weapon. But, like, I just, I think the best is still out there for him. All I can say is I hope. And I pray and I hope that you're right, Alex, but I I can't, I can't go there. I mean, if we said who are the best guys out there for sure, Petros is one of the best guys out there. Great heart, great guy, but yeah, dealt with a lot of stuff, dealt with some injuries. I don't know. I think it's going to be a really tough go for him to get there. I, I, he's not in my top 10. Do I want him to be there? If I had my top 10 guys, I want to be there for sure. He's in the top half of that list. That's a guy I want to see there. I, but you know, my brain and my heart are in two different places. I just can't put him there. All right. Fair. Give me seven. I got to go Paul Jubb. No, I mean, so Jubby is 12 on my list, but I was going to mention him and cheat. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you know, and all just, all around game, super athletic, hasn't done, you know, hasn't done a ton, but hasn't been horrible recently. Um, you know, had obviously had some early, really early success with the win over Rublev at the, you know, in the, in the grass court section of, of more than a year ago uh, and winning an NCAA championship. He's got all kinds of upside to him. Uh, I just, I just think that that's a guy that, and I don't think there's necessarily, he's a guy for me that there's not a horribly bad surface for. I I mean, he's shown he can play on grass. I don't think he's horrible on clay. I mean, he's a, he's a great athlete. He can move. I think he's going to be able to get his points uh, on all surfaces. And I think, you know, he'll, he'll work his way into his game he's still super young let's not forget when he came to college no i mean a lot of people may not know he came to college i don't know what maybe 16 years old he was super super young uh and so when he left before even being a senior he was super super young he's not very old a lot a lot a lot a lot of maturing to do still for paul job i think he's definitely gonna find his way there that is the crazy part when you look for Paul Jubb. It is the fact that he's been out of college for a little bit, still 22 years old, 345 in the ranking, so much of it at the futures level. I'm really looking forward to seeing him pushing into the challengers in 2022 again. That's why he's on my list as well. All right, again, rapid fire through the end. I'll just go through. Eight for me is Rinky. Who's your eight? I mean, this one really pains me hmm. because I've I've told you it's the most the way I can best describe the game is the most impressive, unimpressive game I've ever seen. That's Liam Draxel. 
<laughs> I mean, so he's eleven on my list. Yeah, you you watch him and you're like, wow, where's the weapon? And then you watch him some more and you're like, okay, so there's not a huge weapon, but his defense is absolutely phenomenal. You you put him in any spot you wherever you want to put him, and he puts the ball back in your corner on one side and you can do nothing with the ball. You you look at him and you go, wow, there's nothing super impressive, but he can adapt. You want him to play big, he plays big. You want him to play defense, he plays defense. You watch him and you don't get overly impressed, but the more you watch him, you realize he's so hard to beat. Uh, and he's, I mean, he's going to be so hard to beat that it's, it, I mean, I think he's got that potential. I think that's completely fair. And again, he's not bad at volleying. He's not bad at hitting the 120 mile per hour serve down the down the tee. He's not bad at hitting the plus one forehand. And I asked him about all of those things when we talked to him on the Cracked Interviews podcast. A pod all of you listeners can hear why I wanted to mention him and Jub, even though they're not in my top ten. I'm very certain they're both going to make flashes in the top 100. Draxel is just going to be the best version of himself at some point. That guy just wants it. And I think, at, you know, you worry, again, because of how his desire, will he overtrain at some point in his career? Might he hurt himself in that process? Maybe, but he's going to be the best version of himself at some point. And at 26, 25, you know, that guy's just a physical monster who can do a lot of things on the court. Still not sure what plan A is, but I'm very certain about B, C, and D. That's why I think he's going to get to the top 100 for sure. Three other guys on my list. Eight, Rinky Hijikata. Nine, Stefan Dostinik. Ten, Alex Kovacevic. They just all do things I like. Like Kova, his tidiness. Serve, forehand, find the forehand in the return. Go big on the return. Play on your terms. End the point when you're ready. He's not a ridiculous all-world athlete, but I don't think movement will ever be a problem for him. He just, there's a pro mentality to Kova that sometimes may get in his own way. But I do think just from a talent perspective and, again, a game perspective and a desire perspective, he knocks off all of those boxes. Distonic has that Rafa quality to him where I feel like you could just tell him, hey, go hit 10,000 balls in a row. And he'll be like, okay, I'm down. Where it's just like it's a little happy-go-lucky. I don't think he has that F you to him. And he's just too kind of a guy where he's not really ripping your throat out yet. But he's got the game to rip throats out. I mean, that guy just oozes power, oozes athleticism, a lot of size, which you want in the modern game. That would round out my list here, Chris. Round out yours. And obviously feel free to comment on mine. No, I'm with you on those guys. And I'm just going to, I'm going to throw in, you know, there's, there's one more guy in there. I love guys that just hit the ball super clean. Maybe they don't have the biggest weapons in the world, but if you're a good ball striker, I love you. And the one guy that's in that list that we haven't talked about so far, Andy Harris. Sure. Uh, former Oklahoma guy. I mean, his forehand. Oh, such my. a good ball. Such yeah. a clean ball. I mean, you can't, it's hard to make him hit a bad ball. Yeah. He's not huge. He doesn't have the big serve. He doesn't have the monster forehand. But everything he hits is so clean. I love his game. I love watching him play. I, I think he's he's an outside he's an outside shot uh for for that top hundred as well. Three others, Torp, Oliver Crawford, Hattie Habib. I'm telling you, just watch Habib hit the ball when he's locked in. Qu- candidates to be the next Maxine Cressy. You'll like this category. You ready for this, Chris? 
I think number one. I know where you're going. I mean, number one has to be Kawaisi, right? Kawaisi Kenyatta over at Illinois. For sure. That's like you are the Max Cressy heir apparent, my friend. Does Keegan Smith qualify for this, or was he too good too early in his career? I mean, I, he could qualify. He could qualify for that award, but I don't think he's. Uh, yeah, he's I don't too think good. He's, he's not nearly as cocky, I would say, maybe yeah. or, or arrogant. But but he's yeah, he's definitely better early than than Max was. Uh, but he definitely, obviously, another guy that believes in himself and my, believes. My in counter himself would be: Are we sure he's not like? Maybe he actually is the most arrogant human in the world, and we just don't know that about Keegan Smith because that's not you know he just you don't even know what he's thinking ever. I mean, um, if if that was the case, that would be the. I mean, if you could like pivot add, of the century, that would be a part. If you bomb. could add arrogance and cockiness of a doubles team together, no one could ever surpass that doubles team. It well, I mean, be, it's insurpassable. That Even the number one doubles team in the world doesn't have the confidence that those, those two had in common. We didn't spend enough time in 2019 enjoying that team. If we get a duo like that again, two just six foot six behemoths. Who like never lost, never lost, and we just like did not enjoy it as much. There's uh, there was comedy gold probably in every duel. Like there's probably something Cressy probably. I just want to know. Put me in the chain. Like what are they saying to each other in between? What does that line of communication look like? God, that would be delightful. Again, we left it on the table. We won't do that in the future. Three more guys for you for the Cressy Award. Tim Siebert. <laughs> All right. Lucas Greif. Oh my God. Maybe. Like, are we sure? All right, last one. Herman Hoyerall, double H. Maybe he actually is the next Cressy. Those are my candidates. What do you think? Oh my gosh. I think you, yeah, clearly we've gone off the Gruskin rocker here. Is that where, uh, by yeah. the way, is that the cutaway clip that Westoff should use when he's cutting clips from this episode? Should we do it? The next Cressy? Is that the cutaway? I think that's the cutaway we should use. So Westoff, <laughs> hit the camera. No, I mean, the camera's been on, but next Cressy, this is the clip. Um, yeah, all good answers. And again, speaks to uh, speaks to his success, we'll say, over the early parts of his career. But again, impromptu podcast in the books i said it'd be on the shorter end we win an hour 15 of course we will be back next time with matt stokoyak with chris hallioris as well to continue our college contenders breakdowns we're at our top three teams folks and of course that's for the men and the women who i discuss with john parsons you can find all those episodes both here and on our website crackedrackets.com you can hear from many of the coaches on our cracked interviews podcast feed read more from about these teams on the website from john parsons and matt Matt Stokowiak, of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at A.L. Gruskin. You want to message Chris, he's at College Tennis Ranks. Shout out, as always, again, to the super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out. A shout out as well to all of you college tennis fans for bearing with us this offseason again. We are inching closer and closer to the start of the 2022 college tennis season. Hopefully, we'll have some fun announcements of how we plan to broadcast that season for all of you over the next couple of days. Of course, we will be back to talk about all the latest and greatest results to preview the kickoff weekend as well over the next few weeks. So we hope you'll stick with us. But for now, 
for my fantastic co-host, Chris Hallioris, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all probably tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>